So, um, there is a lot that uh, the Lord is stirring on this journey that we're all on, walking together to, um, to really grow in understanding the true treasure of God. And there's been this key central verse that we've been focusing on out of Isaiah 33, 6 that tells us that the fear of the Lord is the key to the treasure of the Lord. The fear of God unlocks the treasure of God in our lives. So we're going to see that even from a a unique perspective today, but I, I want to just reiterate the fear of the Lord and what we're trying to comprehend and understand as the fear of the Lord. Um, it's, it's a multifaceted ex, uh, perspective. How many know, if you know Jesus, the fear of the Lord is very different than if you don't know Jesus? <laughs> and uh, there's some people who don't know Jesus and they just simply have no fear uh, of God, but that will not be the case when we all stand before him in the conclusion of this life. And so this is a pretty important Uh, topic that we talk about, that we understand the essence of eternity. We're going to see with clarity, true salvation and what that looks like today in just a very short, brief conversation that we find in Scripture. But let's let's just rehearse just for a moment the the, uh, definition that we're using to help us comprehend the fear of the Lord is the fear of the Lord is the awe-filled awakening of the human heart, where God just awakens something of of a sense of tremendous and deep awe within our heart to the overwhelming majesty. How long has it been since you were overwhelmed by the presence of God in your pursuit of God, where you just literally found yourself in tears before him, just overwhelmed with his goodness, overwhelmed with his love, overwhelmed with how grand, the grandeur of God, just amazing, awesome God. So the fear of the Lord is this awe-filled awakening of the human heart to the overwhelming majesty of our creator God. So in an understanding of where we're going today, I, I heard the story of a guy that had come to the conclusion of his life. He's on his deathbed, and he tells his wife, uh, sweetheart, I want you to call the banker and the lawyer and get them here as soon as possible. And they show up, and they come into the bedroom, and, and they were quite astonished that he'd invited them in. You know, is there something personal you needed, or were you trying to get your affairs in order? And he said, uh, gentlemen, I've all of my life tried to live like Jesus. And with you on this side and you on this side, I thought it would be fitting that I would die like Jesus between two thieves. I'm ready to go. So, between two thieves is what we're going to talk about today. Between two thieves. In the spring of 33 AD, just outside of the city walls of Jerusalem, there were these three men that were being crucified. And the Roman executioners had driven nails through their wrists and their ankles, and they had left them for dead. It was just a very common scene of their day, very typical way uh, to punish criminals in their day. Yet here we are 2,000 years later still talking about these particular three in the multitude of many that had suffered that type of death. And it's pretty important that we understand the significance of these three individuals and what was taking place even in their conversation. Uh, one, One thief was very angry 
And uh, we'll look at scripture in a moment to see, but just go with me for just a moment in understanding kind of the context and the scene of what was taking place. One thief is angry. He's probably angry about being caught in his crime. He was probably angry uh, about being sentenced. Uh, I would suppose he was most likely angry with people uh, all through the course of his life that he felt had let them down or let him down. And now here he is hanging on a cross, angry with Jesus Innocent Jesus who didn't deserve to die. This man is now angry with him. You have to understand that when people get angry at you, uh, when something comes out of somebody that gets in proximity with you, uh, it's more about what exists within them than it is about maybe what you've done. Uh, and sometimes we need to own responsibility for making bad decisions and doing things we shouldn't. But we have to realize there's something deep going on within every single one of us and something clearly was taking place in this individual's uh, life. In fact, both of these thieves originally, initially, began to hurl insults at Jesus. And in Matthew 27, 44, it uh, lays out very clearly that both of them are making comments and declarations, save yourself, save us if you really are. But in his final moments, one of those thieves had a change of heart. And there was something that shifted in this person's heart. And, and again, I want to just address the deeper narrative that exists in our lives. Because a moment is really not what your reaction is about whenever a moment comes. But there's a deeper narrative that is going on that God's trying to establish. And I believe God's trying to reach into the deeper narrative of every one of our lives all the time. But especially this morning where the Lord's just wanting to go into a deeper place in the way we think, in, the, in what we believe, in the way we function, and how we respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, to the counsel of God that exists in His Word, uh, and just walking before the Lord our God. So the story is in Luke chapter 23, verses 39 to 43 where the explanation of this transition begins to take place. One of the criminals who hung there, verse 39, hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Interesting, isn't it? Don't you fear God? We're talking about the fear of the Lord. So one who's angry with Jesus is hurling insults while the other is saying, what's wrong with you? Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly I tell you that today you will be with me in paradise. You know, this is one of the most important conversations ever recorded in the history of humanity. Because in just a very few words, we actually see here that faith alone in Christ alone determines our eternity. And I want to focus in on that just for a moment so that we all understand very clearly. We're not gathering together as a church family, uh, connecting and tuning in online and coming onto the campus and talking about you know, positive concepts and ideas so that we can live a better life. And you know, th That's really not the focal point of what's taking place. Jesus is alive. He's the Savior of the world, and he's recruited us in, if you will. We've become part of the family, and now we're part of this mission of declaring the eternal 
eternal truth of who he truly is. And in this moment, we see something that is so vitally important that faith alone in Christ alone determines our eternity. This, this man who's asking, don't you fear him? Don't you fear the Lord? How can you respond that way? Is just moments away, as Jesus said, you're about to close your eyes in this life and open your eyes in the next, and you'll be with me in a place of paradise when that takes place. You understand, like the blink of an eye, every one of us in this room is going to pass away, and when we do, like the blink of an eye, we'll close our eyes in this life and we'll open them in the next and faith alone in Christ alone determines what takes place at that precise moment in eternity this alone should strike a sense of severity in our hearts to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ it's not all just the frosting of the cake and thank God for the grace and the mercy of God and we celebrate it so much and we sing songs about it so much and some people have taken that, that whole doctrinal element so far that they've lost sight of really understanding just how significant it is that we recognize this eternal God is a loving God and he's a just God. There are some decisions that we need to make to serve the Lord our God, not just on behalf of securing our own salvation to know that we know him and we're walking with him and we're going to spend eternity in heaven, but we actually have a great obligation once we've received this mountain of grace that met our mountain of sin, came with it a great mountain of responsibility to help other people find their way and understand the love and the life of Jesus Christ. Amen. I think we need to, to reflect on this just a bit and recognize there's a tremendous responsibility that comes with the grace of God and the salvation of the Lord that we now have to devote ourselves into a, a posture of figuring out, okay, if salvation into eternity was all that really mattered, then I would have been taken as soon as I was saved, but that didn't happen because I'm now part of the rescue team that's in the earth pursuing the redemption of all humanity, and they will know us by our love for one another, and it's our love that will actually speak of this incredible deep sense of God's power drawing people into a deeper narrative of that compassion that exists within his heart. As Jesus was suffering in a way that we can't even begin to understand, these two criminals in his midst were also suffering tremendously. And in their suffering, there were two totally different responses. And I, I just reflected on that a little bit as I was praying into that. And again, just contending over the scripture a bit and not just, you know, reading the surface level of it. And I, I really hope you'll get the essence of what I'm saying because I believe God is wanting to move us into a deeper pursuit of knowing him. You know, there's this place where I don't even really comprehend it anymore, but like people who... They, they, you know, do like the church thing and never really open their Bibles, never really have any time of reading Scripture, never really have any time of, of exploring what God has revealed in his word for us to embrace. And they just, you know, perhaps they just don't understand um, the depth of eternal treasure that exists right there in Scripture. But then there's another place where we get into that and we kind of do it out of a routine behavior because it's what we ought to do. And we're, we're, in a sense, feel better about ourselves if we'll be true to our devotions. But then there's another place where we just get into a deeper place of the pursuit of God, where we sense the presence of God and the nearness of the Father in the place of reading Scripture. And when we don't comprehend and understand something, we just pause there for 
for a moment. We say, law there for a moment. And we just say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're wanting to reveal? There was something in, in, the, in what I'll be talking about today that I just couldn't get away from it. And, and no matter how much I studied it out, I couldn't find the right commentaries to explain the deeper sense of what God was desiring to reveal. And it wasn't until I took two or three days of just constantly bringing this before the Lord, getting up extra early just to spend some time in the presence of the Lord and say, God, what is it you're desiring to reveal? Do you understand that the kingdom of God does require for us to contend at times to bring something into existence that will not exist if we do not pray? And I felt that sense over the course of those three days, and and finally it was just all of a sudden I got this download of what God was desiring to reveal. I mean, it just was an incredible breakthrough moment for me. And and it really unlocked something in me in terms of the way I want to really pursue God on a deeper level. How many of you want a deeper appetite for the things of God? Can I just see? Just hold your hand there for a moment. Father, I pray that you would release a deeper appetite in our hearts today in the mighty name of Jesus. We really are hungry for more and we don't even know how to get there. But your word says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for they will be filled. So Lord, deepen our appetite, awaken our pursuit, help us to become the activated sons and daughters of God in the earth that are expanding the kingdom as we're exploring eternity in the way we walk with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Take us deeper, Lord. So here are these two criminals and they're having two totally different responses according to the deeper narrative that exists within their lives and a responsiveness to allow God to get into that deeper narrative. And one is very angry in his suffering. And all of us can identify when we suffer, it's easy to be angry. And in our suffering we can grow angry with God because maybe we don't understand. We live in this fallen world where there are some things we simply will never comprehend. How many of you have been through things in your life and you find it quite frustrating when you really think about, I'm serving the Lord and I had to go through this. Can I just see, like, honestly, hold up your hand. You say, why do I have to face this? And, and I, I understand that. I recognize that. I have those same thoughts. I have those same feelings. There are things Tracy and I have talked about. Why does that have to be the case in the, in the progression of you know, our walk with the Lord and things and circumstances and situations that has happened? But let me just reiterate a phrase that we say quite often around here. Though we live in a fallen world, we serve a risen king and we'll lift our eyes to put our focus on him even when we don't understand and we will not abandon what we do know about God because of what we don't understand about living in a fallen place. You have to understand God rarely gets his way. A lot of people don't like that language but it's the truth. It is not God's will that any would perish but many do. God rarely gets his way. So we live in this fallen perspective and and place where things are happening that God never desired to take place and he's trying to redeem us out of it. And the last thing we need to do is turn our attention away from him and turn our affection away from him as our father. And in our suffering we can grow angry or we can draw close. And what we think about sets the tone for our response. What we think about, I want to ask you to think about what you think about (laughs) Because what you think about sets the tone for your response. What you think about establishes the deeper narrative of the attitude of your heart. The Bible says as a man thinks in his heart, you have a thinking heart. You have a thinking head and you have a thinking heart. And the deeper narrative is born from the thinking heart. 
And we try to do it all in the head, but there's something about the heart that God's constantly trying to reach deeper than that which is going on in the head. We have this surface reaction going on in the head, but there's something deeper than that taking place in the heart. God wants to reach into the deeper narrative in every one of our lives. That's why he, he gives us a, a clear path to uh, walking in a greater posture before him as he says, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. One translation said, thy word have I treasured in my heart. And I love that in the time of focusing in on true treasure. Charles Spurgeon said, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. The same gospel that melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sin. And it's the deeper narrative that produces the response that's going on in all of our lives. So in this week, in preparation for today, just asking the Lord to begin to teach uh, me about some of this, I I found myself thinking about how important it is to think about what you think about. Uh, My people perish, why, the book of Hosea tells us, for a lack of knowledge, for not thinking about the right things. How many of you know that nothing can help you if your thinking is wrong? Have you ever tried to help somebody and they just didn't think right? They just chose not to rehearse the good things in their mind. Nothing can help you if your thinking is wrong. And equally so, nothing can stop you if your thinking is right. That's why we've been given the mind of Christ and the power of God is readily available when we rehearse the the truths of who he is and the character of God Almighty. So clearly something's going on in the head that's really important. Where's your brain? It's in your skull, right? That's where the brain is. This is the head. Mark 15, 22, they brought Jesus to the place of Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. When I read that, that's what I... That's, that's when I just realized there's something deeper here that the Lord's wanting me to comprehend. Something deeper here the Lord's wanting us to get. The place of the skull. Jesus died on the hill of Calvary, but Calvary was also called the place of the skull. And as I studied it out, I found some really interesting uh, speculative theology that we can talk through. Uh, some phenomenal things that have just been widely accepted uh, in orthodox belief structures that aren't necessarily even known in Western Christianity. And I'll, I'll point to a few of those things, and then I want to show you what I felt like the Lord was really revealing out of it all. So here Jesus is being crucified at the place of the skull. He's about to be raised up on the cross above all of his enemies on the place of the skull. And isn't it interesting that the cross was going to thrust down into the place of the skull, a crushing blow down into the place of the skull. And the first prophecy we have of Jesus, our Savior, in Genesis 3.15 is that Satan's head would be crushed and that Jesus' heel would be bruised. Isn't that interesting? So I start to see some real symbolism that could be tied into all of what was taking place as Jesus was crucified and gave his life in those moments on the place of the skull. And then I, I thought about this time that, um, that our family had a conversation and we started just discussing about how David killed Goliath. And um, you know what happened? David killed Goliath. And like Goliath, what you, what you need to realize, and, and this, is, this is 
you can kind of take some of these ideas and, and have a lot of fun having conversation with them because there's this portion of scripture in, in Genesis 6 that speaks of the seed of hev- heaven's rebellion with human daughters uh, and, and the giants of the land that we see that the Israelites were fighting were born from this seed of heaven's rebellion and, and, and what that looks like and, and what that really means. Uh, it's interesting to get into all those types of things and discussions, but ultimately Goliath is that. Goliath is the seed of heaven's rebellion that, is, that was existing in the earth. And here's David, the seed of Abraham, through which the true seed Christ would come, who's standing and he's fighting Goliath. And did you know that in 1 Samuel chapter 17, it's so intriguing to me, but when David killed Goliath, he cut off his head. And the Bible specifically says he took his head to Jerusalem. And it wasn't that uncommon in that day when you would uh, fight an enemy and defeat a foe that you would you know, literally uh, try to create havoc in those that might side with the person that you fought against. And, and, uh, and, and some kings would literally put the head of their adversary on a pole and stick it in the ground. We don't really know what David did when he took the, the giant's head to Jerusalem, but there are many who believe that he buried it in a hill that's known as the place of the skull, Goliath of Gath, Golgotha, the place of the skull. So it's so unique whenever I started finding that out, and then, then I, I figured out something that, again, this is, this is really common in, in Orthodox doctrine and not so much known in Western Christianity for us, but the reality is there's this widely accepted um, teaching about how the skull of Adam actually is at the foot of the cross. And the reason is because supposedly Adam was buried in Jerusalem and Melchizedek was actually commissioned to be the keeper of the sacred burial ground. And if that's the case, and when you look at, I started looking at the paintings all of a sudden, looking back at these old paintings, and there is a skull in many of these paintings, and it's, it's indicative of this particular teaching that the head of Adam is actually the place of the skull. Do you hear what I'm saying today? The second Adam came, and he was raised up on the, on the cross, on Calvary, on this hill, this place of the skull, and Jesus gave his life, and it, it, the story just goes on as there begins to be a continued expression of what was taking place because very potentially if all of this is true you've got the head of Goliath and you've got the head of 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 Adam in the in the hill of Calvary and Jesus on the cross and the blood pouring out of his body and the earthquake begins to shake and many people believe that the blood of Jesus literally went into the cracks and crevices in the place of the skull covering the very skull of Adam the first Adam through who which the sin of all humanity entered into the world and Jesus came to redeem us And John 19.30 suddenly has new meaning when Jesus said, it is finished. It's an interesting dialogue and an interesting consideration to look at all these things and 
There's only so much of it that we really see clearly revealed in Scripture, but how many of you know part of eternity is going to be continually being fascinated at the things that God was revealing in the progression of the history of time, trying to teach us that Jesus is the Messiah, and he did come to redeem the sin of the first Adam as the second Adam and all the pictures and types throughout Scripture. We've gone through as a church family a few years back of how Jesus is revealed in every book of the Bible. We spent 66 Sundays looking first where's Jesus revealed in the book of Genesis where's Jesus revealed in the book of Exodus where's Jesus revealed even in the book of Leviticus and Numbers I mean it is incredible how Jesus is revealed in every single book of scripture God is an amazing God God is worthy of our praise he is beyond our wildest imagination beyond our most phenomenal comprehension he is a God who deserves for us to erupt right now with all of our hearts in declaration Lord you are worthy of our praise we honor you today we honor you God you are so awesome you are so amazing. Our hearts are all filled with the incredible majesty of our Creator God. Deepen our revelation of the fear of the Lord today as we understand the depth and the magnitude of who you truly are. Jesus. Two thieves, if all what I'm saying is true, two thieves two skulls, two ways of thinking. Two thieves, two skulls, two ways of thinking. One thief feared God, one did not. Adam sinned and feared God. Goliath did not. I want to just ask the worship team to come and I want to ask you if this week, you would take some extra time to invest in eternity and contend over Scripture. I do believe God is trying to deepen and mature the body of Christ in this season of the church. And I have a lot of suspicions of what this is to look like over the course of even the next year for us as a congregational family. And I want you to know, the surface level religious belief of simply having a faith without ever really allowing your understanding of Christ to impact your life so that you learn to live by faith are going to be more and more obviously, distinctly, uniquely separated in the next season of God deepen us into a place of greater maturity as the body of Christ. I want to go there, how about you? It's easy to amen it. Some of you might even not amen it because you're not exactly sure. But even those that do amen it, you understand there's a cost. <laughs> there is a cost. And that price, the Lord's going to teach us what that looks like. But to really contend for New Testament theology the way God desires for us to. Embracing everything that Jesus has freely given us. I'm so thankful for all that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Aren't you thankful for that? Yet there are some things that are actually unlocked on a deeper level 
in our sacrificial pursuit of who he truly is. So I want to ask you this week, if you will, ask the Holy Spirit just to begin to teach you about the fear of the Lord. Because we're not going to talk about this much longer. The fear of the Lord is the key that unlocks the treasure of the Lord. So we're going to start to step into, in the month of November, the continuation of this season in a broadening perspective where we start to understand the true treasure of God that results from the true fear of the Lord. That's why the foundation of these several weeks, particularly during the month of uh, October, where fear begins to be something that the world celebrates from an entirely different perspective. And it's not that type of fear we're talking about at all. So we really, um, I was thinking about this today. (coughs) We read different translations of scripture. How many of you have your favorite translation, right? Do you have, like there's one particular translation you really love. I'm a variety translation guy. I like to really look through a lot of different translations because they all say the same thing from totally different perspectives, but it all points us back to where we need to be focusing. And I thought about this this morning just as I was praying about the commission for this week. Congregational families all around this city and all around the world are kind of like different translations of what God's desiring to reveal. Some of them are kind of a loose translation, and some of them are kind of a hard-to-understand translation. But you understand there's a variety of all these translation expressions that helps us get a complete picture of who Jesus is desiring to be revealed as. What we know about the translation of our church family and what God's asked us is that we're commissioned by God to bring God's presence to real life in every realm of society on every level of community. And I want to ask you if you'll just stand to your feet, if you're able to do so. Lord, we know with clarity and with a deep sense of conviction, producing incredible confidence, we are called by God to bring God's presence to real life in every realm of society, on every level of community. I thank you for the ministry that happens here as a family as we gather. And I thank you that that is only to facilitate the ministry that happens everywhere we go throughout the community, in every realm of society, on every level of community. May we just learn to walk in the presence of the Lord, surrender to you as a way of life. In Jesus' mighty name, In Jesus' mighty name. Your action point this week is I want to ask you to set your mind on the fear of the Lord by reading God's Word every day this week. And there's some key verses you'll find in the blog again this week, fewer than previous weeks. I want you to try and just really focus in on a few verses and ask the Lord just to teach you. I I don't know, I, I, I feel like there's been an unlocking of a deeper passion to really be taught by God. Uh, just in the atmosphere of the room. I sense that, that there's an appetite that God's tampering with as a part of the deeper narrative where we realize we need the anointing to teach us. And so the verses I encourage you on the blog just to reflect on Proverbs 22:4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and 
honor in life. Just taking time just to reflect on that and memorize that and speak that and ask God, invite God just to speak more to you about what he's wanting to reveal. In Psalms 115 verses 13 to 14 are the other two verses. He will bless those who fear the Lord. The blessing of God is tethered to the fear of the Lord. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. What you believe about Jesus matters. And faith alone in Christ alone is what determines our eternal conclusion in eternity. So, Lord, we invite you. I just pray as we prepare our hearts just to go into maybe what will seem like a sense of a more sacred depth of our worship. I just know that you are tampering with the deeper narrative of our lives. That there are things that exist that are beyond our wildest imagination that you've been dreaming for us since the beginning of time. And the more we get a clue to the call of God that comes from God for our lives, the more awakened we become to truly manifesting ourselves and your word says all creation waits for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed, to manifest themselves and come into the full expression of who you designed us to be. Faith alone, in Christ alone, awakens us spiritually. We acknowledge Jesus you are the second Adam who came to redeem the sin of all humanity brought into this earth from the first Adam. I thank you that you're not dead in a tomb, but you're alive because you're risen from the grave. A sinless Jesus deserved no death, but took that on behalf of our sin so that we might have life. Come on, if you just surrender to Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, would you just put your hands up in a posture of surrender? We acknowledge today, Lord, we just surrender to you. Salvation is a decision that you make, but it's not just a decision that you make. It's a decision that you make as a lifestyle to live. And it just continually, every day you wake up, and you thank God for the salvation. I thank God for the day I was saved. I remember the day I was saved. And then the rest of my life, I'm making him Lord of my life. And Lord, we just posture ourselves before you today. Maybe some of us in the room, this is the day we surrender to you as our Savior. The first time we declare, Jesus, be Lord of our lives. But for all of us, I pray, Lord, you would help us to grow deeper in a narrative of your love and a narrative of your strength in the narrative of your word that becomes the attitude of our heart. We can possess the mind of Christ because our heart is filled with the word and the presence of God. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for the deeper work you're doing right now in hearts that are hungry. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Jesus, mighty name.